Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. Good morning. You are listening to Just Life live from the London studio. And this morning I have with me Eddie Gilmore. Good morning, Eddie. Good morning, Anna. Um, Eddie Gilmore is an author, a musician and a, the CEO of the Irish Chaplaincy in London. And he has just published um, The Universe Provides, which collects stories of hope, miracles and uplifting personal encounters from his travels around a global community rediscovering itself following the isolations of the coronavirus pandemic, um, which sounds fascinating um i'll hand over to you to tell us a little bit more about um how you ended up writing this book etc thank you anna and, and it's a great pleasure to, to be with uh, with you on just life live um, and thank you for inviting me to say a few words about my my new book um i'm going to tell a little bit my own story because that kind of leads into where where this book came about i grew up in coventry um i was uh, i had irish parents so the Irish Catholic parents, our faith was very, very important. Um, going to Mass on a Sunday was a central part of the week. Um, we, we'd also go to Mass during the week sometimes. Um, the, the evening meal, sitting around the table, was a very important uh, time of the day. Um, and I'm very lucky that I had a very good first experience of prayer. As a young child, when my mum used to be tucking me into bed, um, she used to say the Hail Mary. And so prayer for me has always been associated with intimacy, and, and, and it still is. Uh, and prayer still is a, is a, is a, a central part of my, my day and my life. Um, when I was a little bit older, I would add an Our Father, so there would be mm -hmm. an Our Father and a Hail Mary. I think, I think as the years went on, a Glory Be got, got, got <laughs> on as well, so there would be an Our Father, a Hail Mary and a Glory Be. Um, and then I really enjoyed doing RE. So, so I went to Catholic schools. I really enjoyed RE O-level. And that was, um, I, I, I started enjoying kind of reading the Gospels, you know, more carefully and thinking, wow, what great stories. I've always loved stories. And there are some great stories in the Gospels. My goodness. Um, and, and I was lucky to have really, really good RE teachers who really encouraged us to think. Um, so when I went off to university at the age of 18, it was very important for me to get involved with the Catholic chaplaincy. So I was at Shepherd University. Um, in my second year, I became uh, president of the Shepherd University CAFSOC. Mm -hmm. um, I was also an active member of the student SVP group uh, that had been set up in my first year by um, by a guy from Belfast who's who still close around Adrian. St. Vincent de Paul, isn't it? Yeah, the St. Vincent de Paul Society, which is a, a big organisation within the Catholic Church, which reaches out to, to the poor, to kind of put it boldly. Um, started in France in the 19th century uh, by a man called Frederick Ozenham. Um, I've just interestingly, I was, I was invited to the SVP annual conference um, two or three weeks back. Um, I, you know, 
Elizabeth, the um, the director of SVP in England and Wales, said, "Would you come with your guitar to the SVP <laughs> conference and just you know share a bit of a bit of your music?" Which I happily did. You know, the SVP will always have a soft you know a soft spot in my heart. So we used to do various kind of visits every week, and then um, we we would meet together one evening in the chaplaincy and talk about our visits and pray together. And uh, my favourite visit probably was to a geriatric hospital, uh, which was just on the edge of the campus there of Sheffield Uni. And I used to absolutely love going and chatting with the people. And I felt so at home with them. And I always felt uplifted when I came away from those visits. And it was probably my first insight into thinking, my goodness, I'm, I'm surely receiving far more than I could ever be giving to these people. Um, that my involvement with the SVP and, and, the, and the, the Catholic chaplaincy eventually led me to joining L'Arche, um, not immediately after graduation, but a couple of years afterwards, I went to Canterbury to be part of L'Arche Kent, which is the first L'Arche community in the UK. So L'Arche communities are international, it's an international organisation where people with and without learning disabilities live and work together in their intentional faith, faith-based communities. And they're all over the world, there's, there's about 10 in the UK. Um, I was uh, very involved with L'Arche for 28 years, um, I met my wife, uh, Im Soon, mm -hmm. who's Korean, who came in 1989, the year after me. Um, and last year we, we, um, we, we, we marked our 30th year of marriage uh, with a very special trip to Korea. Congratulations. Uh, I'll say a little bit more about that later mm -hmm. because that, that comes into the book, the new book. Oh, thank you. Um, so after 28 years, you know, 28 wonderful years at L'Arche in which, you know, my own life and the life of myself and him soon and our three now grown up children has been blessed with beyond measure. I, I needed something different. I needed a change, a new challenge. So back in 2016, I, I was looking, searching for something else, not really sure what I was looking for. And at the end of 2016, I saw a job advert, CEO Irish Chaplaincy. And um, it, it caught my interest. And I thought, well, what on earth is that? And what's the Irish Chaplaincy and why mm -hmm. we you know, with my Irish background, have I never heard of it? Um, so, so I kind of, you know, looked at the website and uh, looked at the work that the organisation was doing, mainly with Irish prisoners, travellers and seniors. Um, it, I had a bit of a sense that the organisation was kind of keeping its light under a bushel. Um, I, all, I had no experience whatsoever in the prison world, so I almost didn't apply. And, and someone in large said, oh, go on, you just you know, apply and see what happens. So, so I did apply. Um, was invited for interview. So at the end of 2016, the interview was at the big um, Irish centre in Camden in London. Um, mm -hmm. I felt immediately at home there. Um, and in my interview, I had to give a 10 minute presentation. And uh, the Irish Chelsea had been founded in 1957, um, when the Irish Catholic bishops sent nine Columban missionary priests over to England to walk alongside the many, many Irish who were coming to England in the post-war years to find work, um, and which included my own parents. My dad had left Galway in 1949 mm -hmm. uh, to come to Coventry, where he worked on the buildings, like many of the Irish men. My mum had arrived in Coventry uh, from her native Newry in Northern Ireland in 1957. Uh, she'd got a job in the cafe of Coventry railway station. Um, three months later, she went to an Irish dance where she mm -hmm. met um, my dad, and uh, they were married in 1960 and um, had, had a daughter, my sister and, 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 and me. Um, and my mum arrived in England in, in the very year, probably the very month, I, I realised later on, 
that the Irish Chelmsey was founded, you know, in response mm -hmm. to people like my parents. So it was quite incredible. So I, I found myself, you know, doing an interview for an organisation which, which was coming up to its 60th anniversary. And I gave my 10 minute presentation and, and I suggested the upcoming 60th anniversary in 2017 was a time to look back and give thanks for the great work that had been done and to look ahead. And I came up with this phrase at the end of the, the 10 minute presentation, Irish Chelmsey dot dot dot, looking ahead with hope. Mm -hmm. So I was delighted to be offered the job. Um, I started at the end of January 2017. Um, one of my first jobs was um, was to make a, a newsletter. You know, I like making newsletters. Mm -hmm. I'd enjoy doing that when I was leader at Larsh. Um, and on the front page of that newsletter, you know, my, my daughter helped me a bit with the format. <laughs> <laughs> and on the front page and on the back page, as it still is, are those words, Irish Chelmsey dot, 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 looking ahead with hope. Um, we needed to get a new website built um, during that first year. And um, and again, on the home page, looking ahead with hope. Um, now, the, we had a great woman, um, a woman called Rashmi, who helped, helped us with the design of the new website. I think she knew that I liked writing. And she said to me, it's really important to have lots of regular new content because that, that keeps bringing people back to the website and they can hear about your work and how they might support it. And she said, would you like to do a regular blog? I said, yeah, and I'd be absolutely delighted to. So the, the new website launched in October 2017, uh, there with its looking ahead with hope on, on the uh, on the homepage. And I started to write a regular blog and it started, um, I was a bit tentative and timid at first about who I sent it to, but it started going out to more and more people. And then it was kind of getting passed on. Um, and uh, Joe at Independent Catholic News often mm -hmm. publishes so, so it's read by up to 20,000 people, you know, when, when it goes on Twitter, when it, comes, <laughs> it goes through the Larsh networks and various other people occasions, you know, I mean, I mean just yesterday in Canterbury, um, I bumped into um, an old Larsh assistant, a Polish woman, Marjana, who was back visiting after 10 years. And she said, oh, I really like reading something that you'd read. Oh, what was that? You know, she'd come across it somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, so it's lovely to think that something I've written is is getting read and enjoyed by people, and and mm -hmm. it's you know I certainly enjoy what I write. It's lovely to, you know, the the reading of something almost completes the process of writing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, only with a piece of music. You know, I, I write I write songs, and it's kind of it's in the listening, it's in the response of the people listening that the kind of the song is almost completed in a way, mm -hmm. uh, and and that can be different, you know, depending on who's listening to it and and in what what occasion, you know. Um, so, so then COVID happened, as we know, this peculiar thing that was COVID <laughs> in 2020, this, you know, almost hard to believe now that we, we couldn't go out for a yeah. year, we couldn't kind of meet people in the flesh. And I, I had more time. I, uh, prior to COVID, I'd been commuting up to London. I live in Canterbury still, you know, uh, where I came in 1988 to be part of Marsh. Um, mm. and, um, I, I had more time, you know, previously I was commuting up to London four days a week, working from home one day a week. Um, now I had this extra time, especially early in the morning, which is my kind of peak writing time. Um, and writing is a very kind of prayerful experience for me. You know, as I, as I said earlier, prayer is, you know, has always been throughout my life, um, you know, a, a, a crucial part of my day, my daily routine. And I pray several times through the day. I pray with the Psalms. I, I live a bit of a monastic lifestyle. I think I think a future book of mine might be called The Married Monk. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what that book will be about, but <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a good title, I think. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see if that's a future book. Um, 
and um, so I thought, okay, what one of my, my my first COVID project was to write a song. I wrote a song called Corona Blues, <laughs> which is on YouTube with, with a video. Uh, there were there were lots of people writing Corona <laughs> songs that I was to discover. You know, uh, if you go on YouTube and look at my song Corona Blues, there'll be a whole list of other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, with a similar title. Uh, and anyway, my, my next project, I thought I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a book now. I'm gonna take pieces that I've written um, whilst I've been at the Irish Shamsi. Also, books that you know pieces I've written previously for the the Irish Shamsi, and I'm gonna try and weave these together into a book. I'm not sure exactly what what this book will look like, what it will be called. I explored different titles, and um, one of our wonderful team at the Irish Shamsi is a guy called Paul. He's the manager of our seniors project, you know, reaches out to older Irish in, in London living on their own or in care mm-hmm. home. And I was just with Paul yesterday in a care home in Wimbledon, you know, I was there with my guitar singing some songs to the to the people. W- wonderful event. Um, and Paul said, you know, I saying that I'm not sure what this book's going to be called, Paul, you know. And he said, well, it's got to be looking ahead with hope, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and it did. And, and it was um, looking ahead with hope with the subtitled Stories of Humanity, Wonder and Gratitude in a Time of Uncertainty. Um, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll submit it to a few publishers. I've no idea if, if anyone's going to be interested. Um, and uh, I, I submitted to, I submitted it to uh, DLT, Dr. Longman and Todd. Um, on their website, they'd said, um, we rarely accept unsolicited manuscripts and we'll try and get back to you within three months. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually in a Zoom meeting with the aforementioned Paul um i mean a couple of hours after i'd submitted it and got a lovely i'll never forget this you know message from david um you know at dlt to say you know your book proposal caught my eye wow mm. you know you send the full you know have you got a full manuscript i said oh, yeah you bet i have you know sent it off and, and dlt made, made an absolutely lovely job of it so um so the first book looking ahead with hope uh, came out at the end of 2021 um and then I'm really lucky that so the next book, uh, which is called The Universe Provides, Finding Miracles and Inspiration in Unexpected Places, um, came out recently. So, so it came out at the end of April this year. Um, mm-hmm. And DLT made an absolutely lovely job of it as well. Uh, and I've been getting great feedback. So it's a kind of a similar format to the first book. Um, it's a collection of short and kind of standalone, but interconnected pieces, um, you know, about my, my, my kind of travels. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my encounters with with a host of interesting characters, which even happened in this strange time of COVID and lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was out on my kind of daily exercise, I would I was, I mean, there were there was hardly anyone out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm very lucky to live near the seafront. Um, you know, so I, I used to have this little sacred cycle, mm-hmm. you know, to the seafront and back. Um, and there's a place, there's a little seaside town called Hearn Bay near near, near Canterbury. And I would literally, I would have the entire seafront to myself sometimes. And then, and then one day, and, and this is a story in the book, mm-hmm. there were a couple of young guys, you know, I was sitting on a bench, um, just enjoying, you know, sea and, you know, sitting near the pier in Herne Bay, hardly, hardly a solo amount, but there were two young guys. One of them was filming the other, doing kind of backflips on the beach, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Thought, oh, what else are they doing? And um, wh- when I went home, you know, our, our daughter and youngest son, that they were back with us for six months, and our daughter said, oh, that sounds like they were making a TikTok video. <laughs> that was my first <laughs> introduction to the world of TikTok. <laughs> and it was, they were having such fun. And it, 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 was, it was so lovely to, to watch, you know, at this peculiar time when mm-hmm. 
I was thinking, well, where is everyone? Is everyone just sitting at home, you know, mm-hmm. afraid of this virus? Understandable to be afraid of it, you know. Um, and there's me with these two young guys, one of whom's doing a backflip onto the beach and getting filmed by his friend. Anyway, after after a while, it was time to go. I kind of cycled down and I said to them, oh, thank, thank you so much. That, that, that really cheered me up. And I noticed that one of them had a T-shirt with Coventry City Football Club on it. Mm. Well, that's interesting, you know. You know, you, you don't you don't get many Coventry City fans down in, in England. <laughs> I said, are you, are, you a, are you a Coventry fan? He said, oh, no, I, I play for Coventry. Interesting. And, and then it clicked suddenly. Uh, I said, oh, are you the guy that went to Simon Langton? Uh, he said, yeah, I am. So, so that's a grammar school in Canterbury that my children went to. I said, do you know Sean Gilmore? So my youngest son. He said, oh, yeah, no, Sean, no, Sean well. I'm not flipping neck. <laughs> so I went home. Uh, so as I so I told the story, Miran, oh yeah, they were making a TikTok video, and they're sure our youngest said, oh yeah, that's Sam McCallum. Yeah, I played in the school team with him. He was a couple of years younger, but he, you know, fantastic footballer. Um, he got signed for, um, yeah, he got he got signed for Coventry. So so he he was he was mm-hmm. playing for Coventry City. He he got signed in for Norwich, um, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure he's he's presumably with Norwich now. I think he was loaned back to Coventry for a while, but. Yeah, in and um, so yeah, you know, e- even in lockdown, where mm-hmm. there was not anyone about, I was having these amazing encounters with people, and I think part of my, I, I eight years ago, I, I walked for the first time on the Camino to Santiago in Spain, mm-hmm. you know, the pilgrimage route. Um, I was with my wife. I, I, might, I might say a bit later, you know, yeah. about our experience in May. We we were on the, uh, we're in the Portuguese coastal Camino, but. It was like I was experiencing these these little miracles and all, almost getting to the point where I was thinking, well, well, of course, a little miracle happens. It's the Camino. But then I came back from that thinking, I wonder if these little miracles are happening around us all the time. But in our kind of normal, inadverted commas, mm-hmm. life, we, we just don't really see them. We're, we're kind of too busy or too anxious or too preoccupied or in a rush to get from one place to the next that, that we just miss them. Mm-hmm. And um and my conclusion is that yeah they probably are it's probably easier or less difficult at least to see them in a kind of a sacred mm-hmm. route, like the camino because people are in a particular place of openness i think to the miraculous yeah. but, but i think they are they surely are these little miracles these incredible little encounters these connections you know um, are ha- probably happening all around us all the time I'm aware that it's possibly time for a bit of music, is it? Yes. Um, so this first piece of music is by you. This is Lord, You Search Me and You Know Me. Um, do you want to say a little bit about it before we go to play it? Yeah. One of, as I say, I, the Psalms are very important for me. I, I pray and, and sing the Psalms, in fact, you know, a few times a day, as, as, as men and women do in monasteries and convents, you know, throughout the world and, and mm-hmm. as they have been through the ages. Uh, one of my favourites is Psalm 139, you know, Lord, you search me and you know me. Um, I was actually, I think um, I was uh, driving my, um, I, yeah, I, anyway, it, it was one day, um, I was on sabbatical, I had a six-month sabbatical after finishing as community leader in Larsh in 2012, and it was one day when I was sitting a bit down, you know, for, for no apparent reason, um, and, uh, and, and I ended up writing this song um and uh, it was one of the songs i recorded for a cd back in uh 2012 2013 with a with mm-hmm. a wonderful musician called miriam who, who was at Larsh for a year um she was a wonderful flautist and, and singer so so she's playing the flute she helped me 
um, with, you know, with the recording of the CD and um, so yes, yeah, so, so, so this is our song, which we just, you know, I, I, yeah. I, I really like it. I hope we'll give it a listen. Touch me and you know me You read my thoughts from far away You know my resting places And all the paths I take And there is not a word I speak Before you know about it Close behind and close in front You shield me with your hand If I flew to the heavens I couldn't escape your presence or even in my darkest night still you would be there if I flew to the point of sunrise or west across the sea you'd still be there to guide the way your right hand holding me you created my inmost being in my mother's womb I thank you for the wonder of myself for the wonder of your works you know me through and through from having watched my bones take shape woven by you in secret in the furrows of the earth God our heart it is to grasp your thoughts Possible to count them. Darkness is not dark for you. Night is light as day. Examine me and know my heart and hear my anxious thoughts. Be with me on my path and lead me to life eternal. That's lovely. Thank you, Anna. Mm, it's a really beautiful piece of music. And it's such a lovely psalm as well. So if, you, so if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Just Life um, live here on Radio Maria. And we have with us uh, this morning, Eddie Gilmore, who is the CEO of the Irish Chaplaincy and also an author who's just released the book, The Universe Provides. And he's been telling us a bit about um, his life and how he came to, to write this book. So I'll hand, hand back over to you, Eddie. Oh, thank you, Anna. I'll say a little bit more about the book now, and uh, I'll, I'll read a short extract, if I may. Mm -hmm. so, so this second book, The Universe Provides, 
begins in Kylie Minogue's kitchen during <laughs> lockdown. Ha what, what was happening in Kylie Minogue's kitchen during lockdown? What, what was she doing? If you want to find out, you've got to get the book. <laughs> I'll just give a clue. Kylie wasn't cooking in her kitchen. She was doing something else. And, and, and I have to say that nothing illegal happened. <laughs> listeners. And the book finishes in Korea uh, last summer, my wife's homeland, where we had a very, very memorable holiday to mark our 30 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some incredible things happen and um and th- the end of the book t- tells some of those stories from from that that very lovely trip we had and some of the amazing encounters i had with people but i'm, I'm going to read a short bit from the book and th- this is called the lord of the dance you don't realize how much you've missed something until you have it again I'd only gone down to the newly reopened library to borrow the couple of books that I'd had out for a year and to borrow a new one. As I came out of the main entrance onto Canterbury High Street, I was greeted by an unusual sight. There were seven elderly looking ladies about to start some kind of performance. They were dressed identically in grey headscarves and billowing black shawls and each had a zimmer frame. To the accompaniment of a slightly eerie soundtrack, They began to push their frames around one another and were looking more and more distressed and agitated. Their expressions then softened, as did their movements. And suddenly they all pushed away their zimmers and began to dance. Next, they undid their headscarves and flung them into a captivated crowd and ripped off the black shawls to reveal colourful dresses. A solitary man appeared with a large drum onto which he was beating a flamenco rhythm. The spectacle ended with the setting off of party poppers (laughs) and the women throwing rice over the bystanders before disappearing, dancing around the corner. I was utterly enchanted. It was the first live dance performance I'd seen in over a year, the first live anything, and it was so good to experience it again. As I went round to the other side of the library to get my bike, I came across the women in their flamenco dresses, looking very pleased with themselves. That was wonderful, I gushed. Thank you so much. And I added, almost in tears, you don't realise how much you've missed something until you have it again. One of them asked if I'd like more rice strewn over me. (laughs) Oh yes, I replied, and was duly anointed. I felt truly blessed. The day after that, I was having a well-earned coffee with a couple of the guys I'd done my Saturday morning club cycle ride with, and what a treat it was to be riding in a group again. We were basking in in the sun by the Argentinian cafe in the Dane John Gardens in Canterbury, and it was great to see people out and about again. I'd been chatting with Connor en route about coming out of lockdown, and I told him about how much I'd enjoyed seeing a live dance performance again. Just then, I spotted a couple in the nearby bandstand doing a tango. Look, I exclaimed (laughs) to Connor and Chris, there's a couple dancing. Chris then told us of how he had practised for months the first dance to a 1980s song he did with his wife at his wedding. And the conversation went on to other songs from the 80s. Then I told Dublin-born Connor about a nice scene from the film Sing Street, in which the protagonist, a boy who performs his own band, gathers a load of fellow pupils at his Dublin school to be dancers at the first gig and implores them to dance like it's the 80s. One of my favourite scenes from Mamma Mia 
is where all the women, young and old, dance down to the harbour to the tune of Dancing Queen and then leap into the sea. An especially touching bit of that scene is an older woman casting off the large pile of sticks she's been carrying on her shoulders, joining the joyful procession and crying out, oh yeah. <laughs> a few months before, my then 91-year-old mum had been sent a wind-up dancing leprechaun by one of her sisters in Newry. The care home where she lived sent a gorgeous video of her standing up and doing a little jig alongside the leprechaun. This from someone who had begun to need a Zimmer frame to get around. The day after the Argentinian coffee and tango in the park was Trinity Sunday, and Imsoon and I were at our ordinary, our customary Zoom mass. A reflection from one of the women present included the playing of a Nina Simone song, I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free. During the song, several of us present began to sway and dance, and David, the priest, was moving from side to side, the icon of the Trinity, so that it looked as if the members of the Trinity themselves were dancing. It was a special moment. I've always been taken by the Hindu belief that the Lord Shiva danced the world into existence. On this theme, the most well-known song of Sidney Carter is The Lord of the Dance, whose lyrics go, dance, dance, wherever you may be, I am the Lord of the Dance, said he. As a child, I was convinced that this lyric was, I am the Lord of the Dance, Seti. <laughs> when we were young, my sister and I used to jump up and down on the Seti in the living room, and it seems to me very fitting that God would be jumping up and down with us. The image of the dance Seti has happily never really left me. Imsun and I were invited, were delighted to get invited to a wedding, the first such inv invitation in ages. It was friends who are musicians, and as well as the prospect of good music, one of my first thoughts was that we'd hopefully be able to have a good dance as part of the celebration. I look forward as well every year to my August holiday in Barmouth, which is an annual reunion of old friends who met in the 1980s at the Sheffield University Capsock and mm -hmm. SVP plus their now mainly adult children, which began in 2000. One of the traditions of the week is a concert night, and one of the traditions of the concert night is the singing of 500 miles. At what was to be the final performance before COVID, the song turned into a long conga of people snaking around the concert room, and that led in turn to everyone dancing, old and young together, who were the 70s and 80s classics. It was one of the highlights for me of Barmouth 2019. And here again are those immortal words of Sidney Carter, at least how I remember them. And I'll lead you all wherever you may be, for I am the Lord of the Dance City. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it time for more music? Um, yes. So the music I've, I've got up for this music break is the Lord You Have Come to the Seashore. But um, I don't know if you'd rather play <laughs> Lord of the Dance. But no, Lord, no. you've come to the lakeside. It will be wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Do you want to say a bit about that piece of music? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm very lucky every year to be invited to be part of, uh, to be on the team of a large retreat in the French Alps. So every June, I've been doing that since about 2011. Um, and e even when I left Larche uh, at the start of 2017, I, I decided I would still do that because it, it's such fun, such a lovely week with such a wonderful group of people. So, so I'm there as a musician with, with the French guy Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. So we do, we do stuff in French and English and, and other languages too. Um, and uh, I always sing this song, Lord, you have come to the lakeside. I sing it in English and Spanish and, and it never fails to move me. I, I'm, 
there's something about this mm -hmm. song that I'm in tears singing it and it seems to touch the, the people. It is very beautiful. Yeah, at first I thought it was a Polish hymn because I was introduced to it as John Paul II's favourite hymn, Barker. Um, but yeah. it seems to be <laughs> much more universal. Um, it is. And, and it's, on, it's on a CD I have um, in Polish, but, but it's, 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 it's in Spanish. The, the original yeah. is in Spanish, I yeah. think. So let's listen to that now. Thanks.
him. It always just hits me. <laughs> um, emotionally, it's just so tugs on your heartstrings, doesn't it? It does. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start off with uh, some questions. Um, I'm afraid we can't take calls this morning, um, but uh, I'll I'll stand in for our callers. Um, have you ever tried writing fiction? I'm kind of curious about like what's your what the relationship between writing and re- reality is it very rooted in reality for you um yeah yeah good question and 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 a close friend of mine recently said have you thought of writing a novel um i did um maybe over 20 years ago when my children were quite young i i, I wrote two children's books you know so, so, so that was fiction I, I i thought they were very good um and uh, submitted to publishers and and in those days you know you had to do everything with on a you know longhand snail mail mm-hmm. um i think i got so you know so you send off to one publisher you know a few chapters and then wait wait for the response and i think i got 17 rejections for the first one and 18 <laughs> rejections for the second one <laughs> so it was an achievement uh, in its own right <laughs> yeah and i kind of it was a bit my dream at the time to be a writer i even i even built a shed at the bottom of the garden that was <laughs> going to be my writing shed i had a little desk there you know um and i kind of thought I kind of thought one morning, you know, is is that what I want? You know, on a Monday morning, going off to the bottom of the garden and spending the day on my own. And I kind of came to the realisation that apart from the fact that it was never going to pay the bills <laughs> or the mortgage, it probably wasn't what I was what I wanted. Ultimately, you know, I, I really like being with people. You know, I, I like my time alone. I like my time of going to the monastery and, mm-hmm. you know, having time for, for quiet and prayer. But I, I really like being with people as well. You know, as I say, Yesterday, I, I was in a care home in Wimbledon, um, singing Irish songs, and it, I had an absolute ball. On Monday, I'm going to be in a prison, um, high down in Surrey, with with, with another member, you know, fantastic mm-hmm. member of the team. Uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be bringing my guitar and singing to a group of travellers there. And again, I'm, I'm sure I'll have a ball there as well. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, but so 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 I, I you know, I, I who knows, who knows. Um, I mean, my third book is also non-fiction. Um, I'm writing a book about pilgrimage, and I'm oh, like, you know, wonderful. I've almost finished it. You know, I mean, it, it's yeah. kind of flowing at the moment. You know, once you start something creative, it, it just, you know, once mm-hmm. you turn on the tap, you know, be prepared to get get soaked, really. Um, so, so I'm really enjoying that. And again, you know, I, I love telling stories, and there's um, for for me the there's probably there's there's enough real life stories, mm-hmm. should we say, at this point, without having to kind of make them up. <laughs> who, who knows? Maybe I might. Maybe when I've run out of the real life stories, I'll start making them up. <laughs> I don't think you ever will. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about this book on pilgrimage? Because it's such. I mean, people will probably be bored of me talking about this, but I went on this uh, two week long walking pilgrimage in Italy in September, and it was just it's the first proper walking pilgrimage I'd ever done, and it was such a different world. Um, yeah. so like profound the fact that you're so sort of dependent on material things and you have the sense of measured each distance and steps and um yeah. do, do you want to talk about maybe some of the pilgrimages you've been on and what you've learned from them well absolutely i mean i, I can relate to your you know this sense of you, you, you're dependent you're out of your comfort zone um you know in, in a strange place uh, you don't know where you're going to potentially you don't know where you're going to be sleeping from that night you know you mm-hmm. well, almost a tiny glimpse into the world of homelessness, you know, but but there's something wonderful about it as well. You know, you, you get up in the morning, you put your stuff in your rucksack and you start walking. 
and for that day you know what, what you've got in your rucksack is your world in a way mm -hmm. and you are dependent on, on the people around you for sometimes for food for directions for accommodation for just basic human companionship um, and you meet the most incredible characters and have the most profound experiences um, and it's great fun as well I mean I've been um, I've been interviewing people you know um, Imsun and I we a couple of nights back we we had a meal with, with friends in Canterbury who have been going almost every year to Lourdes with the group um, since 1983 mm -hmm. and one of the main themes was how much fun they have you know and he said you know th th there's a bit of there's a bit of spirituality for her in there you know they have a daily mass that's very special um she loves going to the grotto at night although apparently you can't you know i think security you can't go there <laughs> at night anymore but um but she said it, it's great it's tremendous fun that's been my experience of going to lourdes you know i've been there a couple of times and on all the i mean i have such had such incredible fun i'd laughed so much especially on the Camino, I've met the, the most incredible characters there that have just touched my heart. And, and there's something I think about the fact that you've, you've never seen these people before. And mm -hmm. in the vast majority of cases, you'll never see them again. Mm -hmm. You've got this little moment, this little window in time. And, you know, why, why not have a profound encounter and tell your life story to that person? Because, you know, You've, you've come in a way there's no past there's no future there's only that little bit of present and let's grab it with both hands that incredibly precious bit of sacred present moment that, that mm -hmm. we have on earth together yeah. and and you know it's it's incredible i i love i mean i i loved my first time on the camino eight years ago um i did the, the classic camino francaise mm -hmm. uh, in three stages you know from the pyrenees to, to santiago um Imsun and I did, did the Portuguese coast of Camino this, this year in May, you know, I've, um, yeah, so, so, so each chapter is named after a, a popular pilgrimage destination. So there's three chapters in called Santiago, mm -hmm. because of <laughs> Camino stories, then it's Canterbury, Rome, Jerusalem, Lourdes, Walsingham, um, Croke Patrick, so Ireland's Holy Mountain, wh wh where I was mm -hmm. just a week ago, um, climbing up there for the third time um and, and it's a book of stories you know the, the the amazing incredible people i've encountered in these amazing beautiful places and what what a gift i um i one of the women i i i, I spoke earlier this year to a couple called alison and ian who who were on their second time of walking from canterbury to rome and alison said oh you know her final comment was aren't we lucky and then um you know, in the middle of May, just a couple of months ago, Imsun and I were, were sitting with a Danish couple we'd met, Hannah and Jan, uh, talking about, you know, what, what, what is magical about this? And um, Hannah said, we're walking for fun. <laughs> wonderful. And for me, there was a sense, you know, we, we were at the place where people kind of arrive, you know, it's just after the, the, the square outside the cathedral and people, those who want it, come and get their, pick up their pilgrim passport, mm -hmm. um, their, 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 their Compostela. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we were up the road from the Compostela office, seen, you know, they were going past some of the people, the amazing people we'd met on route. And I'm, I'm, I said to them, look, isn't it amazing? Tomorrow there'll be another, there'll be another gang of people arriving here and the day after and the day after, just as there were yesterday and the day before and the year before and the century before. Mm -hmm. And this, isn't this incredible that we're part of this thing, you know? And it's this sense that, yeah, the, the very stones are sacred. Mm -hmm. um uh, on this pilgrimage route but but in a way to remind us that all of all of our paths hopefully 
can be seen as, as sacred ground, as holy ground. You know, if we only have eyes to see and ears to hear. Mm-hmm. But maybe we need we need kind of designated holy places to kind of remind us that, of that yeah. of that fact. Def- you know, each, each moment is precious. Each 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 encounter is incredible. You know, mm-hmm. it definitely felt like pilgrimage is almost like a microcosm of of life, rather than something totally different. It's like. And it feels like an entire lifetime just sort of distilled and clarifies things. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite story from this this new book of yours, The Universe Provides? Oh, from from uh, The Universe Provides? Mm-hmm. Or, um, I'm going to tell you, um, I had a very, I had an amazing encounter. And this is, a, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure what, the, just out of interest, what's the next news, piece of music going to be? Um, <laughs> um, well, we normally have two music breaks. We can have another music break if you'd ah, like one. Um, no, don't, don't worry. I, 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 maybe the story's enough that I'm mm-hmm. like to tell. But th- this is a story which will be in book three. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the kind of the stories that I like and the way I tell stories. Um, so it was on the Portuguese coastal Camino. Um, so in May, um, so it was about 12 days of walking. We started in Porto, you know, finished in Santiago. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know where many routes Camino routes finish and uh, we we decided to go the so-called spiritual way for the last three or four days which I might not you know most people didn't go that uh, it was a, a bit more out of the way and it also involved a boat trip of mm-hmm. quite a you know several miles down the estuary of a river which is said to be the very estuary sailed down by the disciples of St. James the Apostle and the first Christian martyr in the first century with the bones mm-hmm. of St. James to bring them to Santiago. So here we are getting onto this, this, this motorboat. Uh, so that there were lots of pilgrims there on, on, on the quayside. Uh, we were in getting into a variety of small boats. It was an mm-hmm. incredible, incredible scene uh, early one morning. We got into this little motorboat, about a dozen of us, um, people from different countries. There were two guys sitting there in shorts. I mean, it got very cold out on, out on the river. We were warned to dress warmly. So there's two guys there sitting in shorts. One guy has both legs covered with Camino tattoos. And as soon as they opened their mouths, I knew they, they had the broadest of Dublin accents. <laughs> and they, they look, and I thought, I want to get to know these guys. These guys look like interesting characters. Um, they didn't look like your typical pilgrims, you know, wh- whatever a typical pilgrim looks like. You know, they didn't look like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought, I really want to get to know these guys. So, so the, the boat starts off down the estuary, you know, as I say, where, where, a, where supposedly the disciples of St. James sailed you know, in the first century. And um, one of the guys, Jimmy, a bit, bit, uh, guy in his early 60s, you know, I was found out later, um, said, right, everyone. Today, my granddaughter, Bonnie Ray, is making her first Holy Communion in County Wexford, and I want us all to sing Let Us Let It Be, and I'm going to record it and send it to Bonnie Ray. <laughs> we kind of asked her where everyone was from, you know, Belgium, yeah. Netherlands, Italy, you know, Korea, UK, Ireland. And we did, and he got my wife in soon. He said, oh, I bet you're good at making videos. <laughs> <laughs> He videoed us singing Let It Be, and it was the most incredible uh, spiritual experience, as was the the whole boat trip, as was the whole mm. Portuguese coastal Camino. We did. We we had the great fortune to walk with with Jimmy. And although he was only five years younger, his, his nephew, um, Dave, 
who was walking with. They're both Dublin taxi drivers, incredible characters with an incredible story to tell. Mm -hmm. And um, Jimmy will love it if I give a little shout out to his book. He's just had a book published called Brothers in Arms. Um, last year, in the middle of a Spanish heat wave, he and a Jesuit priest, um, Brendan McManus, walked on the Camino Ignaciano. So the mm -hmm. very first Camino that St. Ignatius of Loyola walked along. Mm -hmm. And they did that in, in, a, in up to 40 degrees of heat last, last year. Wow. And a book. And, and it's, it's an amazing book. And uh, I'll be able to tell Jimmy that I gave, gave his book a little call out on radio. <laughs> delighted. And, and so we've kept in touch. And, uh, and, and it was just amazing to walk with them and hear their story. And, and we sang again. We sang again, Let It Be. We sang together a, uh, a song I wrote after my first time on the, on the Camino called El Camino. Mm -hmm. um, and uh yeah so uh that so th th that was a very that was a very special time of a very special yeah. camino wonderful i want to ask you a bit more about the the irish chaplaincy um what what do you think makes the sort of the irish community in london special and what what is it that i don't know give us a sense of of the people and the... <laughs> uh, it is special um i mean we we um I, I mean, the biggest part of our work is reaching out to Irish people in prison across okay. England and Wales, and and you, you just meet the most lovely characters. I mean, I've I've yet to meet anyone in prison that I haven't warmed to. Mm -hmm. I, I know people have done really bad things. Uh, I, I I know that. Um, um, but uh, you know, you, do, you yeah, you kind of you know, my heart goes out to people. You know, everyone's got a story, and um, and and any of us, you know, but for the grace of God, had our circumstances growing up been been a little different, you know. Um, you know our circumstances our path in life could could have ended up in a different place um and i love i love visiting older people and as mm -hmm. i say I love, I love singing with people and it's an absolute privilege i i get invited to a lot of events at the irish embassy in london and, and mm -hmm. you meet the most lovely people and we um our work is very um very well supported by the irish embassy you know um so we're you know, we would get we got financial support uh, from the Irish government through their Vermont support program, and um, and support in lots of other ways as well. You know, we, you know, I, I meet fantastic people. Um, I'm organising at the moment um, a concert mm -hmm. at St James's Church Piccadilly. That will be on September the 16th. That that's an annual thing that that I organise, um, a celebration of Irish music and dancing, possibly poetry as well. Mm -hmm. um, we we even put on a play one year. That we had written especially for us. So that's Saturday, September the 16th, 5:30, St. James's Church Piccadilly, where the rector Lucy Winkett, um, I she came to Larch for six months in 1992. I was her house leader. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she sang at my wedding, absolutely um incredible woman. And she she's a great musician and singer as well. So she she does a little Mary Black set, including the song um Once in a Very Blue Moon that she used to sing. You know, we used to sing yeah. together in the large house um, uh, in 1992, where, where we were both living. I feel um, like it's it's been a bit of a common theme throughout this um, discussion. Music keeps cropping up, and songs. And um, do you want to say a bit about the role that that has in your life, and why you think music is so kind of such a, a bonding and, and yeah, ab absolutely. Thing. And and it's a common thread through my books as well. Um, you know, both the first and the second, and also the third book. Um, for me, there's almost nothing like, there's almost nothing as powerful as music to kind of, for, it, it transports us instantly. You know, I can hear a piece of music and I'm transported back in time. You know, mm -hmm. I'm back 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and 
and it's nearly always connected with a, with a positive memory. Um, food also has a particular, you know, I, I can like the smell of a certain food can transport me back, but but it might be a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Music, for me at any rate, is pretty much exclusively it transports me to to a a good place, even if it might have been a difficult memory, like a, the breakup of a relationship, for example. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it, it transports me to a good place, you know. And um, and it brings people together. It's incredible how it brings. In fact, yesterday in this care home, mm -hmm. one of the one of the carers, Loyola, a lovely Irish woman, she said at the end, thank you so much for those songs. It brings us back. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is what it does. It brings us back and it brings us to a good place. You know, those those elderly ladies, you know, it was mainly women. There were a couple, couple of brave men in the group <laughs> <laughs> to see that their bodies moving, you know, singing yeah. the words of those songs you know from their childhood it's an incredible thing it's incredible music has such a power to bring people together f for me at, at, at a level deeper than our differences in religion culture nationality language it brings us together mm -hmm. you know unites us in our common humanity there's just something about music there's just there's a joy that the way it brings forth laughter and tears you know you said for you listening to lord you've come to the lakeside how it it, yeah. it just it gets you yeah every time. it gets me every time <laughs> there's, there's something incredible about music mm -hmm. and and how do you approach i mean you said you released a couple of albums how do you approach writing music then um yeah i i kind of I know that different people have different ways of writing. Some people write the words first. Some people write the the the, the music first. Um, some people do just one of the other and get the other per, another person to do. The, uh, for me, it kind of starts with an idea, and that's mm -hmm. a bit the same with my writing now, writing books. I kind of have an idea, and then it kind of goes from there. For me, the words and the music are, are absolutely intertwined, mm -hmm. um, absolutely inter interlinked. So, so I I couldn't personally write just words or just music and then add the other later you know that they, they absolutely grow organically together and sometimes what what you finish up with is not what you expected at all and that's yeah. an that's incredibly exciting you know as i say start like if it's a song start with an idea it might start off this way it ends up completely differently <laughs> yeah and I'm like, wow uh, that, that's just amazing you know where did that come from mm. you know and who knows <laughs> you know where did it come from? I don't really know. I was just a kind of a channel for something. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, do you want to tell our listeners um, where they can find your book, where they can find everything that you do? Um, just point them in, in the right directions. Thank you. So, so, so if you Google, um, so Eddie Gilmore, The Universe Provides, you know, you, you, you'll probably get to it. It can be ordered online from, from any kind of bookseller. Um, or you, if you prefer to go into a bookshop, you, you can order it in any bookshop and that they, they usually come the next day. Mm -hmm. So again, Eddie Gilmore, The Universe Provides, um, with the subtitle, Finding Miracles and Inspiration in Unexpected Places. And I can maybe send it to you to put on the, the Radio Maria website, if that would be yes. all right. Yes, yeah, we can put it in the link for the podcast. Great, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to, to advertise to our listeners? Let, <laughs> let people know about? <laughs> Share no. the good news of <laughs> what you're uh, up to? Hmm? Yeah, well, well, thank. Well, um, you know, I didn't, ex you know, managed to give our concert on September the sixteenth a little call mm -hmm. out, so, so that was nice. So I hope, hope we will come. It, you know, we have a fantastic, um, yeah, it'll be a fantastic evening. Um, it, you know, it always is. 
Um, glad I got to mention my my books, you know, in plural. Mm -hmm. uh, also, Jimmy. Jimmy will be delighted when I tell him that I gave his mm -hmm. book a little call out as well, Brothers in Arms. So, um, um, and um, yeah, no, no, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, yes. Anna, speaking Thank with you. you. Thank, Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much for coming on. Um, we've been joined live um, on Radio Maria on Just Life by Eddie Gilmore, who is an author, um, CEO of the Irish Chaplaincy, a musician, um, a writer, and um, he has just published this book, The Universe Provides, um, telling stories about sort of everyday life and encounters with, with wonderful people. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Thank you.